You are listening to Press Church Podcasts. Please enjoy this week's message. The title of the sermon that I want to talk about today is simply called, called Dressed to Impress. Dressed to Impress. That we know now, it, it, it's not like it, it used to be many, many, many decades ago, where all the men wore suits and ties, the women's wore dresses, dressed down a little bit as a culture, me being in skinny jeans, although they actually fit, um, not wearing a suit and tie. I think the first time I ever wore or bought a suit, I think, was after the fact of me graduating high school. And mom and dad wanted to bless me and buy me a suit because they said, you always need a suit for something. And I said, all right, well, I'll go get a suit. And they said, well, we've got to go take pictures in your new suit. I said, well, okay, we'll go do that. And I never wore the suit again. I don't remember <laughs> me ever wearing that suit. Uh, but I want to encourage you today as we go through the, the scriptures as we, as we go through the sermon, uh, we'll tie this all in together to show you how to dress to impress. The scripture that I want to highlight today, that I want to focus on today, is Psalms chapter 40, verse 2. We're going to be jumping around Psalms uh, today in, in a couple different scriptures. You've probably heard this scripture before. I, I've quoted it before, um, and you'll probably hear me quote it again, verse Two out of Psalms 40 says, He, he being capitalized, talking about God, also brought me up out of a horrible pit. He also brought me up out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my steps. So I want to talk to you today about two points he brought you out of, and he set you up. Not in a bad way. He sets you up in the good way. And in order for us to understand what he brought us out, I want to try and define what this horrible pit in this miry clay looks like, because that in our normal connotation right now doesn't completely make sense. We're not like Joseph and, and our, our brothers haven't beat us up and thrown us in a pit and is going to sell us into slavery to Egypt. We... we uh, Although I'm from Louisiana, and most people believe that swamp people is my life and want to know where the gators are in my backyard, I lived in a subdivision. Didn't live in a swamp. Didn't chase gators. They didn't eat me. I didn't eat them. I've eaten it before, but not on a regular basis. So trying to understand, he brought me out of a horrible pit, and he brought me out of the miry clay. What does that look like? In my life, how can I attach myself and understand what he brought me out of? The definition of a horrible pit in the Greek, well, in the Hebrew back then in Psalms, means a horrible noise, a rushing roar of water, a cistern, a dungeon, a prison, a fountain, a pit, or a well. He brought me up out of a horrible pit. As I was reading the definitions as I was studying, I had these questions pop into my mind to help us understand what he brought us out of. The horrible pit is a horrible noise. My question to you is, do you feel like you cannot 
hear God because life is louder than Him. Rushing roar of water. Do you feel like you're continually knocked down and drowning under the waves of life? I remember as a kid... um, One of the first times we ever went to the beach, we went to Gulf Shores in Alabama. Uh, For those who are new, don't worry, that's just the fire alarm. Doesn't mean we're on fire. It's just kind of my amen corner. Lets me know I'm doing a good job. And we were in Gulf Shores in Alabama, and and me and my dad and my older brother, uh, my younger brother wasn't born yet, and, and we were walking along the shore and I remember we would run and, and jump into the water, and we'd get out, and we'd run and jump in. And It just wasn't the greatest of trips for me. Uh, I got stung by several jellyfish, uh, one wrapped around my leg, uh, one wrapped around my chest. Um, it, it wasn't the best of times, but I remember, uh, for those who have been coming for a while, know that I'm not the greatest of swimmers out there. Um, a lot of times, if I get in the water, I go underwater, so that's why I take showers instead of baths, to be careful. Um, and I remember being with my dad and my brother, and we were jumping in and out of the water, and I remember I saw this wave coming, and I got excited, forgetting that I didn't know how to swim uh, and had uh, uh, a tendency to, to almost die every time I got in the water. I jumped in, and when I jumped in, I jumped into this wave, and the wave was a lot bigger than I thought it was. And I remember being in this wave as it was bringing me to shore, what felt like an eternity, as it's turning me over and under, and I'm drowning, and I can't breathe, and I'm trying to swim, and I don't know which way is up. And it throws me like Jonah out of the well onto the beach. And I look up, and my brother and my dad are still just walking along the beach like nothing had happened. As a drowned rat is laying there, saying, Dad, didn't you see me drowning? And he said, what are are you talking about? The wave was like two inches tall. Like, there was nothing wrong with you. But sometimes it can feel like that in regards to life, that as we're we're walking along life and this wave hits us, doesn't matter how big the wave is, to me it feels like I'm drowning. To other people, they scoff and they laugh. What's wrong with you? I mean, everybody's gone through that. It's happened to the best of us. But to you, it feels like you're stuck in this horrible pit, this wave. Do you feel like you have fallen down a well of continual sin and see no way out? That horrible pit is a cistern, a well, a prison, that you're trapped in your thoughts. You can't get out. You're looking for a way out. You're looking for someone to throw you a rope and help you get out of this sin cycle, to help you get out of this thought pattern, this season that you continually find yourself in over and over and over again. In Psalms chapter 69, our good songwriter David seems to have that same emotion for us. Look at this, Psalm 69 verses 1 through 3, save me, O God. Has anyone ever prayed that prayer before? For the waters have come up to my neck. I have definitely prayed that prayer before. Verse 2, I sink in the deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. Look at verse 3. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. 
I'm being honest, it sounds like David can't swim either, so that feels, makes me feel a little bit better. A man after God's own heart. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Let's talk about the miry clay. Maybe you say, you know what, I'm not in a horrible pit. I'm doing okay. Let's talk about the miry clay and see what that looks like. It means properly dregs of mud, mire, and swampy. It means a sticky clay, a dirt. So the questions that I wrote down, have you tried to escape sin or thoughts, but you keep getting pulled back down and stuck? Do you feel dirty or never clean? That you're stuck in the miry clay. That you feel like every time you take one or two steps forward, something is stuck to your leg and pulls you back down. You fall back into that same sin cycle. You fall back into that same thought process where you get to thinking and then you find yourself depressed, anxious, overwhelmed, angry, terrified, frustrated, fearful, worrying. Then you come to church and you get built up again. You say, yes, I can do it. You go back out there and you fall in that miry clay again and you're stuck or maybe you just feel dirty. It says in the scriptures, thank God, that his word can wash over us. No matter what you do, no matter what you're seeing in the sights of other people, you feel dirty, insecure, a loser, a failure. How am I going to get over this? How am I going to overcome that? It'd be terrible if we just ended the sermon right there. Praise God. Woo! Miry clay, horrible pit. I'm glad I'm in both of them. But there's freedom in this scripture today because in the first part of the scripture it says, He brought me out of it. So whether you feel like you're in a horrible pit or you feel like you're in miry clay, there is good news today. The gospel is known as good news. The gospel of peace is here. The word of God was sent to heal you from all your destruction. He brought you out of it. So whether you feel like you're in a horrible pit, there's deliverance on the other side. Whether you feel like you're stuck in that miry clay, there's deliverance on the other side of it because he brought you out of it. Luke chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. Let's put all the ickiness behind us and let's see what God's got for us. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to the house because he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10 says, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. This is the story of Zacchaeus. He goes to Jesus' house. Now, anyone who understands miry clay would be Zacchaeus, would be a tax collector. The IRS of the day, the dirty, filthy people of the day. You see, the tax collectors were Jewish people who worked for the Romans to go and tax other Jewish people. They already saw Rome as captors, as the enemy. And now my own family, someone who is a son or a daughter of Abraham from the 12 tribes is working for the enemy and you're taking money out of my hands and taking food out of my kids' mouths. 
And not only did these tax collectors just take what the Romans wanted, they added their own tax on there. Well, the Romans say you got to pay a dollar, but I need five from you. Yeesh. Be hard to say hi to them. Be hard to care about them and their family. Zacchaeus had an understanding of being stuck in the miry clay. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. Because if I'm being honest, how many people would go to a tax collector's house? Because if they went, they would probably see what their taxes paid for in their house. Oh, did I pay for that lamp? That's a real nice sofa. Yeah, yeah, your neighbor paid for that one. Oh, okay, cool. That's great. You want to come sit on this brand new table that I had made with your tax dollars? Sure, I'd love to sit on this table. Flip it over like Jesus did. <laughs> tax collectors, from my guesstimation, this is Jeremiah's interpretation of the scriptures. I don't think they had much friends outside of other tax collectors. Because who wants to hang out with the guy who's always asking for money? Nobody wants to hang out with that person. Hey, could I borrow 10 bucks? Um, no, I don't have money. How about 20? You got your card on you? How about 50? Can I just borrow a couple? Okay, all right. But Jesus decided to go to his house. Jesus decided to sit at his house. Jesus decided to talk to him, preach to him, and ultimately love on him. Zacchaeus had a revelation of that and says, I'll give back everything that I've stolen, even more. I'll put taxes on my taxes that I took from the taxes of the other people. And Jesus makes the statement, today salvation has come to this house. I want you to know that Jesus is making this very same statement today in this house, the body of Christ, this church, this morning, and he's saying it to you. That if you feel like you're stuck in the horrible pit, if you feel like you're stuck in the miry clay, Jesus is saying, today, right now, salvation can come to this house. Specifically also because you, whether you like it or know it or not, are a son and daughter of Abraham. That's what the scripture says. He had sons and daughters before he was circumcised, and he had sons and daughters after he was circumcised. So therefore, we all get in because we're all sons and daughters of Abraham. You are a son of Abraham. And Jesus makes the statement, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. To seek. Jesus says, I have come to seek which means he went out. We see that in the scriptures. He says, I'll leave the 99 to go find the one. And usually when he has to go find that one sheep, that one sheep is not in a Hilton hotel. That one sheep is not at a resort. That one sheep is not at the mall. That one sheep is usually in not the best of places. That sheep has usually fallen into a pit. That sheep has... Stuck in the miry clay as the wolves are circling around him. And Jesus says, I'll leave all of them. I'll leave all the disciples. I'll leave all these people who are trying to crown me as king, who love me, who want to see miracle signs and wonders, to go to that one tax collector that nobody likes. 
And Jesus says today, I'll go wherever you are right now. In your sin, in your failure, in your insecurity, in your addiction, in your lostness. He says, I'll seek where you are. And not only am I going to seek you, he is going to find you. And not only is he going to find you, he's going to save you. I've come to seek and save that which is lost. He's brought you out of the horrible pit and the miry clay. It's not as prevalent here, or maybe I just don't hear it, but there's a specific type of cicada, a magicada, M-A-G-I-C-I-C-A-D-A, a magicada, that stays underground, and you might have heard about it in the news, for 17 years. Up north, it's a little bit uh, more of a problem. They say that they have them in South Carolina, but I haven't heard them or seen them, but they might be around here. But a specific type of cicada that goes into the ground and lives underground for 17 years of its life. Hanging out in the dirt, dirt packed on top of it, dark, dreary, can't see anything. And then for whatever reason, we know it's the Lord and the instinct that is placed inside of that creature, it decides to start digging up. It's never thought that for 17 years of its life. It's just stayed there in the dark, in the dirt, in the mud, in the clay, pressed on top of it. It decides, I wonder what's up there. And it starts digging. After 17 years, doesn't know to dig up. It might dig side to side, but it just stays where it is for 17 years eating. And then it goes up. And for the first time ever, it sees the light of day. And this cicada, who has been underground for 17 years and has just crawled back and forth in the dirt, all of a sudden knows how to fly in the air, open its wings and fly. And the male starts making a horrific noise, calling the female, encouraging her to go on a date. The female cicada lays its eggs in a tree or near a tree so that its babies can be born and go underground for another 17 years. And then that male and female cicada, who is only out of the ground for six, maybe four to six weeks, dies. That's a pretty sad part of the story. So for 99.5% of that cicada's life is underground, under the dirt, under the mire, under the clay. And one day it has this revelation that there's freedom if I go up. And it bursts out of the ground and it sees the sunlight for the first time. And not only does it see the sunlight, it opens up these things called wings that it could not use. It could not even understand how to use in the ground. You can't fly underground. But it opens its wings and it starts flying something it's never done for 17 years, living its best life. He brought you out of the horrible pit in the miry clay. It doesn't matter how long you've been stuck in that miry clay. It doesn't matter how long the darkness has held you down. It is time to start crawling up and looking for the sun, the light, 
the man of God, the son of God, the Messiah. And it says that Jesus came to give life and more abundantly so that when you come out and you experience the goodness of God, you can open your wings and what has held you down for so long, you can finally fly free in his freedom, in his salvation, and in his kingdom. Don't be held down anymore because he has already brought the solution to you through his son to help you and to encourage you to come out of that pit, to come out of that miry clay and celebrate what God has done for you. In the last part of that scripture, he set you up. He set you up. He brought you out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set your feet upon a rock, and he established your steps. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. I don't know if in women's Bible study y'all hit Acts chapter 4, but you'll read this again this week. Peter is speaking to the religious leaders after the fact that the man, the, the, the lame man at the gate has been healed. They were walking and leaping and praising God. Remember the song, Kids Church? And now Peter is giving a defense on why this man got healed as the religious leaders are trying to squash and quiet. They said, well, the guy has legs. We see him walking. He was by the gate. People are going to realize that's the guy. How can we get them to be quiet? And Peter makes this statement, and let it be known to you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, that stings to hear right there for them, who God raised from the dead, you thought you won, but you didn't, by him this man stands here before you whole. Verse 11, this is the stone This is a previous scripture. This is a prophecy that that was made in the Old Testament that Peter is revisiting and restating. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has now become the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you, me, and the world must be saved. He has set us up on the rock. And who is that rock? Uh, No other than the chief cornerstone, Jesus. He's the one that brings us out of the miry clay. He's the one that brings us out of the horrible pit. But he doesn't just set us right next to the pit. All right, buddy, don't fall back in. Watch out, it gets real sticky over there. I'm going to go. I'll see you in a couple years. No, no, no. He says he brings us up. He brings us out of that sin. He brings us out of that. And then he sets us on top of the stone, the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the rock that our life, our world is built and stationed upon. He set us upon that. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 I love this scripture and talk about it quite frequently. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us. He's the one that brought us. There was nothing that we could do to get out of the kingdom of darkness, to escape the hold of the power of darkness. Remember, God did not send his son 
to turn you from a bad person to a good person. God sent his son because you were dead spiritually and he made you alive in believing on his son. You had to be born Again, he has delivered us from the power and the kingdom of darkness. He has conveyed us, lift us up, set us into the kingdom of his son, the stone, the chief cornerstone of his love, verse 14, and being on that stone, that chief cornerstone in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. He has set us upon the rock and... He has set us and established our steps. Psalms 37 verses 23 through 24 says the steps of a good man. Other translations said the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And he, God, he delights in your way. Verse 24 says though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Look at this. He's bringing you out of the horrible pit and the miry clay. And if you do fall, if you do fall into that pit, if you do get stuck into the life of the miry clay, it says he is there and you're not going to be utterly cast down. You're not going to stay in that pit. There's deliverance. There is freedom. There's an opportunity. There's an open window. There's an area and a time frame for you to come out of there. For the Holy Spirit to move in your life and to bring you out of that addiction and say, never again will you deal with that. For the Lord upholds him with his hands. Holds you up. Even when you feel like you're falling. Even feel like, oh, I stumbled again. I've got a one-year-old. She's about to be two. I've got a six-year-old. Even him at six. I still have to follow him. Oh, oh my God. Come on. Come on, buddy. You can do it. My daughter has no fear at all. She'll just run and jump. Nobody around. Just run and jump. Just fall off stuff. Yesterday, she was running around our bed. And she doesn't like to run and jump in the middle of the bed. She likes to run around the edge of the bed. Just, and I'm like, oh, okay, all right, all right. And there's God, a representation. Oh, okay, okay, you're okay, buddy. You got it. You're good. Oh, 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 you almost fell there. Oh, you did fall. It's okay. Let me help you up. Let's brush it off. Let's clean it up. Let's, let's, let's put a Band-Aid of mercy and grace and love on that wound and heal it so you don't have to deal with it anymore. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he falls or he fails, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. You see, when I became a corrections officer back in college, I met with the sheriff, met with the warden. My dad introduced me to him, and they said, well, if you want to go in the criminal justice field, why don't you come work for us in the prison? And I thought, me? Like, you see me. We're having a conversation right now. I was 1.30, soaking wet at the time. I said, you want me to be a corrections officer and go? And Okay, well, let's see that. So they said, here, fill out this piece of paper, and then we'll swear you in. We'll get you some clothes, and then you can start next week. And I thought, wait, time out. Time out right there. What do you mean next week? Like, let's, let's give it time uh, before I just get thrown into the prison as a corrections officer. And I remember going to this room with this lady, 
she pulled out, I don't remember if it was a Bible or not, I don't know what they swear you in on, but put your hand on something, I'm assuming it's a Bible, I raised my hand, she swore me in as a deputy, she said, all right, we got to take your picture for your, uh, your card and your ID and all that, you can come, I'm finishing up now, um, and so they give you this little uniform that kind of just goes over your clothes, so you sit on this chair behind an American flag, kind of just smile with a grimace on your face, and they take your picture, and they said, all right, you got to go here and pick up your clothes. So I got this uniform to go wear as a corrections officer, and I remember putting on that uniform, putting on the military-style boots, the, the dicky pants, and the gray polo shirt with the Calcasieu Parish Sheriff's Office symbol on my chest. I tuck that in. I had this belt on with my handcuffs, my handcuff key, my pen, my gloves. Can't have any weapons in there. I probably hit a knife in my boot or something like that. And I remember walking into the prison. And they buzzed me in. The door shut behind me. They buzzed me into the second door, and I walked into that prison. I thought, I've made a huge mistake. This is, <laughs> this is not the calling I'm supposed to be in. Nothing had changed at all between the day I got hired and the day that I started outside of me putting on that uniform. I had no training at all. Nobody told me anything. I didn't get a handbook. I was watching cops trying to figure it out, doing some push-ups in my room. Oh, Lord, please let these things get bigger. How do you punch? Close your eyes and ah! Nothing had changed at all except for my uniform. And when I walked in there, I noticed that there were other deputies. There weren't a lot of us. 10, 20 to 2,000 inmates. 10, maybe 15 of us corrections officers. But we were all wearing the same shirt with the same patch. And I noticed that if I stood behind a corner and used my big boy voice, the inmates would listen because they would think it was a really big guy that was about to come around the corner. But as I got more brave and worked there for two years, I understood that it had nothing to do with me, but it had everything to do with what I was wearing. That he dressed me in that uniform is what made people listen, obey, change the atmosphere. In Isaiah 61 verse 10, this is my last scripture, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Look at this right here. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. God has set you in a garment of salvation. God has covered you in a robe of righteousness. Now because you have the uniform on, he's going to establish your steps. He's going to help you going forward. He's going to bring you out of every sticky and dark situation. Just like when I was in prison wearing that uniform, there were some very, 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 I can't stress how large these men were that I would look up to and tell them, you're going to do this and you're going to do this now. And they would listen and obey when they wouldn't do that on the street 
it would probably just be because of the badge, they would listen and obey. And because you are covered in the garments of salvation, you are clothed in the robe of righteousness, the enemy must obey whatever you say, that you must, he must flee. Says he's walking around seeking whom he may devour. Well, guess what? You're not going to devour me. You're not going to devour my church. You're not going to devour my family, my children. You're not going to devour my finances. You're not going to devour my mind. You're not going to devour my heart, my will, emotions anymore because I'm dressed to impress. He's brought me out of the miry clay. I'm not getting stuck in that pit anymore. I'm not getting stuck to that addiction of that miry clay anymore. I'm coming out of it. And where I'm coming out of it, he's setting me on Jesus. And I'm sustained. And he's ordering my steps for the future. The future that I'm walking away from that pit. I'm walking away from that miry clay. I'm never going back to get stuck in there again. I'm never going back to that prison. I'm never going to get overrun by those waves and hear that horrible noise anymore. I'm going to hear your voice and what you have to say for me. Family, don't you ever forget it. Whatever you're going through today, you are dressed to impress. And all of hell knows it. And it's time for you to recognize what you're dressed in and what you're clothed in and the authority and the power that God has placed on on you and inside of you by saying yes to Jesus. So let's stand up as we get ready to head out today. Maddie's going to sing a little bit of that song again. I'm no longer a slave The words here says fear. I am a child of God. You are a child of God. But just take a minute between you and God. And as she's singing this song, I want you to replace, I'm no longer a slave. It says fear there. But there's whatever. There's something in your life that you need to declare today, I'm no longer a slave to. I'm no longer a slave to my thoughts, to my actions, to my sin. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to sickness. I'm no longer a slave to this, that, and the other. Whatever it is, as we're singing, I want you to put words to that. I am no longer a slave to that, whether it's fear or not, and make that declaration. You yourself, I am a child of God. He's bringing you up out of it today. He's bringing you up. You're no longer a slave to that horrible pit and miry clay. He's bringing you out of it because you are his child. Take a minute between you and God as she sings, and then we'll pray and dismiss.
Father, we thank you that your word says that he that the Son sets free is free, and we speak freedom into these people's lives now in the name of Jesus freedom in their lives. Father, I thank you that right now in this moment you are bringing them up out of whatever horrible pit or miry clay that they are dealing with in this season of life, that they will no longer be affected by it now in the name of Jesus. We use the authority and the power in the name of Jesus to take authority over those things in their lives, and we speak freedom, we speak healing, we speak deliverance. We say now in the name of Jesus. You bring them out, and you set them on your son. Jesus, your name, Jesus, is the truth. Your name, Jesus, is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Your name, Jesus, is the Messiah. Your name, Jesus, is Emmanuel, God with us. And you sent your Holy Spirit to be God inside of us. Father, I thank you that each and every person here is a son and daughter of the Most High God because they simply believed in your gospel, the simple gospel message that Jesus died for my sins and our sins and the sins of the world according to the scriptures, that he was buried in a tomb, but he didn't stay in that tomb. He rose again on the third day, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And it says that Jesus, our chief cornerstone, is interceding for us. Jesus, I ask you to pray for us today. Help us as we walk through this deliverance in our lives to never, 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 never go back to that horrible pit in that miry clay. And Father, I thank you that you're establishing our steps. You're establishing our steps into the future that you're calling us into that we won't step backwards anymore. We're only going to step forward because we know that we are a miracle and that you're going to continually work miracles in our lives. You've brought us out this far. You'll keep bringing us all the way to glory. The scripture says we're going from glory to glory, not from glory to the pit, not from glory to the miry clay, but from glory to glory. The scripture says we're going from faith to faith, not from faith back to the pit. No, no, no. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I might not know a way to get out of that pit, but I know you do, and I know that you're going to reveal that truth to us today in Jesus' name. Father, bless your people. Your scripture says that they are blessed and highly favored. Father, I thank you that they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. They are blessed in the city. They are blessed in the field. Father, I thank you that you sent your word and you healed them. And by Jesus' stripes, they are already healed. Father, I thank you that they have the mind of Christ. The favor of God surrounds them like a shield. Father, your word says that everything they put their hands to must prosper. Father, your word says that they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. They're blessed in the city and blessed in the field and everything that they do will be a glory to you because we overcame that dumb devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So Father, help us share our testimony with somebody this week to encourage them, to love them, and tell them that God loves them and is ready to bring them out of whatever they're dealing with. Now Father, bless your people, protect your people, and cause them to prosper in everything they do and bring them back safely next week in Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Next week is Father's Day. We have some gifts for the fathers. So bring your fathers. If you are a father, please come back. And uh, we want to bless you, love on you, and we'll have a a special Father's Day message for you all. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you all next week. Take care, family.
Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.